If you've ever listened to a preacher teaching from the letters of the Apostle Paul, you will almost certainly have heard them mention the importance of Paul's use of the word therefore, as it appears in our English translations. Now, if you've got a New King James version of the Bible, which is the version that we use as a church, if you read through Paul's letters, you would come across the word therefore no less than 142 times. 142. Uh, not so if you have an NIV or an ESV, but only because in places they choose to use alternative words or phrases but nevertheless conveying the same kind of meaning. So uh, they all have the word therefore less than 80 times. But you will find, for example, words such as then or so or consequently, really all conveying the same kind of meaning. The issue is that Paul makes reasoned arguments about doctrinal truth from which he then draws certain conclusions and makes specific application to our lives. Because this is true, for you this means that, and he explains what that means. So for a while on Sunday evenings, we're going to be looking at some of these therefore sayings of Paul. I say for a while because I'll be honest, I haven't yet decided just how many or how few of the 142 we're going to look at just yet. But I do know where I'm beginning, so that's always a good thing, isn't it? And uh, we're going to begin in Paul's letter to the Romans and we'll certainly be dipping into some of the other letters that Paul wrote. And um, I've decided that for sure. And uh, well, we'll see where the Lord takes us in this, in terms of how long the series lasts for. But I do want the series to have some semblance of a beginning, a middle and an end. And so we are beginning at Romans 5 to consider the issue of sin. What are the facts of sin? Or at least what are the salient points that we need to know about sin? What are the main things that we need to know about sin? In many ways we have to start there because there, if there were no sin there would be no gospel. If there were no sin there would be no need of the gospel. Why did the one who is the Christ come into this world as a man? It was to bring us the remedy for our sin. That's why he came. Why do we sing and speak and preach of one who is our saviour? Because we needed to be saved from our sins. And from our sins he came to save us. Would you tell others of Jesus Christ? Good. But you are not merely imparting historical facts to them, are you? 
Or at least I hope you realise it's more than that. You're not just trying to remove their ignorance about certain things, although that would be part of it. Would you tell others about Christ? The Apostle Paul spoke about wanting to persuade people of certain things. About Christ. Not merely that he was a man who lived and died. There's more to him than that, isn't there? What things did Paul want to persuade people of concerning Christ? Well, in a nutshell, that without Christ, they are lost and without hope. And they stand under God's eternal judgment and condemnation. And that judgment and condemnation is heading their way. And I hope you, like Paul, don't want them to remain in that position. And the reason you want to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ is because you know and you understand that the gospel provides their only means of rescue. So that's why you're telling them of him. And so the gospel of Christ demands a response. But why does it demand a response? Why does it matter? Why does it matter if they choose to reject Christ? It matters because of sin. It matters because of their sin. And it matters because of where their sin is going to place them before God on the day that Christ returns. That's why it matters. It has everything to do with their sin. Well, how does the Bible explain sin? What is it? Where does it come from? And what are sin's consequences? Well, we start there. If you've ever read good theological books, you'll know that the remaining 20 or so minutes is not very long to answer those kinds of questions. But it's enough to get a good grasp of the things that you do need to know. The basics. The main thing. Well, in this passage that we're going to be looking at, we're going to learn three things about sin. Number one, through Adam, all have sinned. That's the starting point. Through Adam, all have sinned. The Bible presents sin as being a spiritual and moral ailment of the heart and the soul, which all of us have inherited from Adam. That's what we saw there in those verses, that through this one man, this great offence has taken place that has resulted in all of us being sinful before a holy God. Sin is an infection of the soul. And at the very moment of Adam's sin, sin was immediately passed on to every future generation. Through his disobedience, verse 19, we were all made sinners. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. 
the practical reality of sin, how it affects us, how it works itself out in our lives. We'll start to look at that in more detail next week, God willing. But let's see first of all that the Bible teaches that since Adam and specifically because of Adam and through Adam, we are all sinners. We're told a few important things about sin in these verses. Look at verse 12. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We're told it was through Adam that sin entered the world. Now we read in the opening three chapters of Genesis about God's work of creation and that when it was finished it was all very good. In other words there was no sin in the world at the end of day six and neither was there any sin in the world for a while thereafter. Precisely how long that while was we don't know but probably not very long. But there was no sin in the world at the end of God's work of creation. But then we read that Satan came into the garden to tempt Adam and Eve. Sin originated in a rebellion that took place in heaven when sinless angels rebelled against their creator. We're not told an awful lot about this in the Bible, but we're told enough. You can read, for example, some verses in Isaiah 14. You can read verse 6 of Jude. We're told enough to know that in those angels there was a desire to be like God. There was a discontent in them to remain in the place that God had put them when he first created them. And actually that lay at the heart of Satan's message in the garden, didn't it? You can be like God. That's what Satan had wanted. You can be like God. But he's withholding this wonderful blessing from you by trying to deny you your choice. Go on. Choose it. And Adam did. Now it's true. Eve went first, but Adam was there. He was the spiritual head. He could and should have dissuaded her, but he didn't. And then he proceeded to follow her. Now, angels are spirit beings, and though they are creatures, they are not part of this physical realm of creation in which we exist. But through Adam, sin came into this physical realm of creation that we know. And every person since has been born in sin. Adam, therefore, in the Bible, is presented as being representative of all mankind when he fell from his sinless state. Now, from time to time, you may sometimes hear people in this context using the word federal, that Adam is our federal 
head, which simply means one who represents us all. When Adam sinned, all of mankind sinned with him. When Adam fell from that state of perfection in which God created him, we all fell. Now, it might be difficult to understand the concept, but read your history, read your history books, look around the world, you t- uh, the world that you're in today, and everything is dominated by the consequences of our fallen state. It's impossible to deny the reality of it, even if you struggle with the theology of it. It's clear for everyone to see. This world is a fallen world. We are fallen people. And this issue of Adam being our representative head is absolutely crucial to the gospel, which is why Paul mentions it in Romans 5. Because it's central to the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that, but if you don't know what that is and you need to find out tonight, come and ask me later. But it's about the fact that Christ died as our substitute on the cross. But this whole thing that began in Adam is crucial to that. Because look at verse 19. As by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. As we all fell in Adam, so you may be raised in Christ. Paul says, as this happened in Adam, the corrective is brought in Christ. So if this is not true in Adam, how can this be true in Christ? If this originating of sin in Adam is a falsehood, the whole of the gospel falls apart. It's that important. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came specifically to deal with what happened to us in Adam. That's what the gospel is. That's what the work of Christ was. And what we also learn in these verses is that sin is to rebel against God. Sin is to transgress God's law. Sin is to think that you know better than God does. Sin is to be overtaken by pride and covetousness and to want to lift yourself into the place of God, to be your own God, just like the fallen angels wanted to. No one tells me what I may or may not do, says the sinful heart. No one can tell me what I may or may not think, says the rebellious heart. I'm not answerable to anyone but myself, says the rebellious heart. But sin, verse 15, is an offence against God. 
it offends him. It is against him. It makes you to be his enemy. It opens up a huge rift between you and God that you cannot bridge. That's what sin is. From verse 15, read the next few verses. The word offence is mentioned six times just so that you get the message. And verse 19, sin is disobedience. And in Adam, all have sinned. Number two, through sin, death comes to all. With sin comes an awful consequence, death. Now in the first instance, first instance, we're talking about physical death. But it's not limited to that and it's more than that and we'll come on to that shortly. But in the first instance, we're talking about physical death. There was no death in the world before Adam sinned. Death came in as the result of sin. Verse 12. Through one man, sin entered the world and then death entered the world through sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. There was no death in the world before Adam sinned. Death is not our natural state. God, when he created the world, did not create Adam and Eve to live and then to die. He only created them to live. But death came as the consequence of sin. Just as God had warned Adam back in Genesis, that is what will happen if you disobey me. The instruction was clearly stated. The resulting punishment was clearly stated. And Adam did it anyway. And death came into the world. Now, verses 13 and 14 in Romans 5, they talk about a time between Adam and Moses when God did not give any further specific, explicit instruction to the world. No other laws were given by God until he gave his law to Moses. So from Adam to Moses, there was no clearly stated law that men and women had to follow. Adam had been given one in the garden. Do not eat. But no other specific law has been given since then. So there was a time when it could be said that men and women were not guilty of breaking any specific laws that God had given because he hadn't given any. So their sins were not like Adam's sin in that regard because Adam sinned against the law that God had clearly given him. These people had not. But all of those people still died except Enoch. 
Why did they all die? Because although at that time there was no, what we might call a published law from God, against which they could be measured or judged, they were all descendants of Adam. They were all sinners. They were all disobedient. They did all know it. And so they died. To understand verses 13 and 14, because you might think, well, this isn't very fair on them. God hadn't given them anything specific they were to do or not to do. And yet he still judged them. How can that be fair? Well, to understand these people that are mentioned here in these verses, you only have to think of the story of the flood. Because those people existed in those generations between Adam and Moses. Why did God decide to flood the world? I'll quote, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It doesn't get worse than that, does it? That's the assessment of those being spoken of in verses 13 to 14 of Romans 5. And as we'll see next time, in Romans 1 and 2, it doesn't matter who you are, when you were born, or how little you know of the Bible. Everyone has a conscience. Everyone knows right from wrong. Everyone knows there is a God who is the measure of those things. And everyone does things against the conscience that they have. Everyone does things against what they know to be right and everyone is without excuse. That is the word of God on the issue. Everyone is without excuse. Now the purpose of the law when it did come, verse 20, is that the offence might abound. What does that mean? Well, when the law came, the law was given to make absolutely clear to us the nature and the extent and the severity of our sin. Here is a law presented by God and all it does is expose us as lawbreakers. None of us can ever expect to be law keepers, ever. The law simply exposes who and what we are even more. We'll dig into some of those things in future weeks. The point is this. Some may read verses 13 and 14 and decide that this seems rather unfair of God, judging them like that when he'd given them no law to keep. But the reality of their sin is laid bare in Genesis 6 as an example. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose, for one moment, that in subjecting them to death, God misjudged them or that he misunderstood them in some way? Did God get that judgment wrong? That's unthinkable, isn't it? Isn't it also highly significant that in these early parts of the Old Testament, God singles out certain individuals like Enoch, like Noah, on the basis that they were unusually and peculiarly righteous, God-fearing, 
men who walked with God, they stood out like a sore thumb. Actually, no, they stood out like a good thumb, didn't they? Not sinless men, but men who had not forgotten God. Men who sought to maintain a good conscience before God. Men who loved God and men who had not succumbed to all of the wickedness that surrounded them. Let's get back to the main focus of this second point. Death entered the world through sin. Therefore, there was no death till sin entered the world. Now, there's another important thing that needs to be said on this subject. There are, sadly, an increasing number of Christians today who are embracing evolution instead of creation. They try to excuse it by suggesting that evolution was God's way of doing it in a roundabout kind of way. And he still, therefore, is the creator, and they, they like to try and make it sound credible by calling it theistic evolution. As if putting God's name in the front of it makes it okay. It is both nonsense and sinful to believe that. This way of thinking teaches that the six days of creation were not literal 24-hour days, but just another way of speaking about six long periods of time during which God's creation evolved, which is a ridiculous confusion of terms. It's clear. We are meant to understand those six days, each of which had a morning and an evening, as being six literal days during which God spoke into being from nothing everything which now is. But no, say so. With Romans 5 in front of us, let's think a few things through. If God, if God used a process of evolution which culminated in Adam, then there must have been some sort of less than human animals which over time evolved into Adam. Yes, the evolutionist would say. That's exactly what happened. And I'll show you those diagrams, starting with a chimp going to a man, weren't they? That's what they teach. That's what they believe. If that was the case, there must have been, there must have been both male and female versions of those animals for them to be able to evolve, mustn't there? Of course there must. So if they evolved, there must have been a female version of Adam. So why, when God looked for her in Genesis chapter 2, could she not be found? Because she was not there, was she? Did God create the first woman out of Adam's side or did he not? He did. 
if he did, how on earth, literally, how on earth did Adam evolve without a woman? It's a nonsense theistic evolution. Did God create Adam from the dust of the ground and breathe life into him or did he not? Is Adam the first man who stands as our federal head, Romans 5, or is he not? Because if he is not, everything that Paul is teaching in Romans 5 is a lie. That's how important it is. Or, or did God just evolve everything else except Adam and Eve? Well, that would be even more ludicrous. And if God used a process of evolution, then of course there were millions of years of death in the world before Adam sinned. And that would also make a complete lie of what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 5. What a mess parts of the church are in. Do not follow them. The gospel is at stake on these issues. You destroy this truth, you have no gospel. It is that crucial. It is that big an issue. The whole of the gospel rests on these truths. You must not let go, ever. It's hard out there. But the gospel stands or falls on this. You have to be convinced. You really must. It's that important. Do not follow them. Do not give them the time of day. Stand in God's truth. You young people at school, people at uni, it's hard you must hold on to this. We have no gospel if this goes. It's important. Through sin, number three, through sin, all are condemned. Through sin, all are condemned. Death spread to all men because all sinned. The judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation. I don't see how Paul could have made it any more plain or clear. The wages of sin is death and we are condemned. The Bible teaches, you see, that the issue is not merely physical death. It is that, but it's much more. We are judged, we are found wanting, we are condemned. And although Paul doesn't mention it specifically here, there's a big clue when he says that the gift of justification of life that's provided through Jesus Christ is eternal life, because that's the alternative to the condemnation. Because the condemnation that Paul is speaking of here the Bible makes plain elsewhere, is an eternal condemnation. Death is an eternal death. Eternal suffering, eternal, eternal torment, eternal separation from God as the punishment for our sins. 
Now you see, it is against all of this. It is in contrast to this that Paul speaks of Christ. And so must you. It's in contrast to this that the gospel of Jesus Christ is such glorious good news. It's in contrast to this kingdom of darkness in which we live and dwell in our sins that the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, is described as being the kingdom of marvellous light. You see, the gospel without sin is just a tonic for someone who's in good health. But the gospel isn't that. The gospel is a life-saving cure for a terminal disease. And as Paul opens up the facts of sin, how we praise God that he's also able to lay alongside it the facts of salvation. You see the contrast? As Paul explains the person and consequences of the first Adam, he causes us to see the true and perfect second Adam in the person of Christ. Do you remember the line we sang this morning in the hymn? The true and better Adam. In Adam, you fell and you die. In Christ, you may be raised and you may live. The first Adam, the second, the true and the better is Christ. He explains how it is that all was lost in Adam, but everything that was lost in him may be restored and made new in Christ. As Paul points to our federal head from whom comes sin and death and judgment, he's also able to point away to our supreme federal head from whom comes righteousness and grace and justification and eternal life. Therefore, in Christ, you may be saved. The Lord is long-suffering toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. But that the world, through him, might be saved from sin.